0: Uh well it's been um, it's been a blessing to to be able to be here and worship this morning and uh I was just thinking of the uh certainly uh, felt the outpouring of love and prayers from this congregation over the few weeks as we've been going through some uh, changes in our schedule. <laughs> so um, anyway, it's been a uh it's been, you know, wonderful just to see uh you know, sometimes you know People don't realize how much it, uh, how important it is to be a part of a church, and uh, you probably don't. You know, when you're younger, you think, "Ah, I can do it on my own," but then you realize that, uh, boy, the prayers of God's people and the love that they demonstrate is, uh, is really what it all is all about. And so, uh, we've been looking at uh, the book of James and trials, and I thought, well. Uh, we're going to continue on. I, I get started in a section, and I'd like to keep going, so we're going to head over to James this morning, and uh, we want to really talk about something that I think a lot of people have questions about, and that is, is uh, you know, a lot of people have a lot of criticisms of the church, don't they? You never have, you know, if you say, well, why don't you come to church, and they say, well, you know, that's I don't like to go to church because, you know, because the church is full of I knew everybody knew that one. (laughs) Uh, Or, you know, or, you know, religion, that's what's the problem with the world. You know, there's too much, you know, people are too, you know, religion is, you know, is the cause of all kinds of other issues and problems. And uh, so, uh, but James has, uh, has a different kind of twist here for us this morning, and that is to look at What does Christianity really look like? And what are the true marks or the marks of true religion? You know, what What does it mean, you know, to be a Christian who believes in the gospel, who's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus? And what does it mean? How does it affect a person's life? And um, James is concerned about that because there is a sense in which um, a person can have a good confession, but not have, you know, they can have the talk, but not the walk. We, we hear about that, but, but what, what does true religion look like? And James is going to talk about that, and I, I often thought, well, why does he bring it up here? Well, he's been talking about how the gospel affects um, our lives, and especially how it affects um, us in terms of our trials and the struggles that we go through. And so here he's going to give us three marks, I believe, of uh, true religion. And he, he brings them out right at the end of the chapter 1. And you kind of like, it almost, uh, it almost comes at you suddenly. And then all of a sudden he jumps into uh, chapter 2 and talks about uh, favoritism and partiality. But the two sections are really connected here. And this is what's uh, interesting about this, uh, about this section. But notice in verse 26 and 27, and hear these words from uh, God's holy word this morning. From the world, and we're going to stop there. Although it, the, actually, he's going to he's going to give an example in chapter two of what he's talking about. But uh, we'll stop there and and just uh, really just highlight uh, three things that I think he's wanting to bring out in this text for us this morning. Because I think a lot of people ask that question: Well, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And what does that look like? Uh, how can we know? Uh, if a person, what their religion is. In other words, uh, is there things that evidence true religion in a person's life? And so we're going to look at that this morning. So uh, let's pray as we come to this text. Father, I thank you for your word. And uh, Father, we've heard about just uh, the needs within this congregation and the needs within the world. Uh, Lord, to think about uh, we live in a world that seems to be... uh, uh, father there 's so much change and so much that we struggle with in this world as we see uh, Father evil uh, being promoted and as we see wickedness uh, being uh, idolized and we Father and yet you tell us to pray for our leaders to pray for those in uh, high authority those who are uh, those who are in leadership positions Father you ask you tell us to pray for uh, your, your work of grace in their lives and that it would affect them in such a way that it would affect the laws and the things that they do that affect us. And Father, you tell us to uh, pray for one another, uh, to pray for the sick, to pray for the needy, uh, to pray for one another, Father, as we walk in this world that's broken and that, Father, we ourselves are broken and at times we uh, feel that brokenness more than others. But Lord, we thank you Uh, Father for your church and that it is uh, it is in many ways it is a hospital for sinners And so we thank you Lord for the gospel. We thank you for this passage of scripture this morning And father we thank you for the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit Lord we could not understand the scriptures Uh, Lord uh, we could not even uh, without the Holy Spirit. We would not be yours Uh, Because it's through the Holy Spirit's work that uh, we know uh, that we are uh, your children And that we cry, Abba and Daddy, this morning, asking you for your help and for your illumination by the Spirit. So, Father, minister to each need here this morning, for we are needy. And, Father, we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Uh, It's an interesting uh, point just in this text. I just wanted to point it out real quickly. And that is that, you know, he starts out and says, if anyone thinks he's religious, but then he says... But then he says, but religion that's pure and undefiled before God. So, so he's, looking at Christ- he's looking at religion and saying, okay, uh, this is what sometimes we think about uh, religion. But what does God say religion is? And so he's kind of like he's doing a, he's, he's making a contrast in a, in, a, in a sense. Because he says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue. Now we know that he talked about the tongue earlier on. Notice in verse 19 when he says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And I think mo- most of us have uh, probably run into that. Haven't you, have you ever regretted something you said? Boy, I wish I hadn't blurted that out. <laughs> I wish I could take that back, and it's hard to take back stuff, isn't it? Because once you said it, it's like, well, you really meant that, didn't you? And it goes, uh, and that conversation can go on for a long time. Um, but one of the things that 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 James wants to point out here is that um, that our tongue really is a description of what's in our heart, and that's the scary part. That and so he's basically saying that, that there's three marks of true religion. And the first one, he says, is, is really has to do with our speech or our tongue, uh, our conversation, if you will. The second one's going to deal with compassion towards those in need. And then the third one's going to talk about uh, how we in, interact or how we compromise or don't compromise with the world. So those are the three things that he's going to talk about here in this, uh, this section. Um, but you know, it's, it's, we live in a world that is doing something and I don't know if you, you, notice it, but every, every venue, uh, that we, uh, have connection with, whether it's, uh, internet or whether it's, uh, uh schools or whether, whatever area in the, in the world that we deal with is that evil is being normalized. Do you notice that? Yeah. And good is being criminalized. Now, that's the world system we live in, and, and, and so knowing that, um, we have to, you know, again as Christians then say, well, what does God, what does God want us to be? How does he want us to affect the world that we live in? And uh, certainly in this text here this morning, probably the, one of the most convicting things is this, is that he says anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue. Now, how hard is that? How hard is it to put a bridle on the tongue or to take back things that we've said? Um, and so this is, this is something that uh, James is saying. And he's not, he's not saying that, we, that this is the way we get saved. He's just saying that as a person who has been, has been touched by God's word, whose Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life, that it's going to affect your speech. You know, the stuff you used to say are, is going to, it's going to be more convicting if you say it, uh, and, uh, and it's also going to be a means that God is going to use to, in other words, God begins to clean up the outside by doing what? Cleaning up the inside. That's why he says, for out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's in your heart comes out in what you speak, which means that the fountain is dirty. And how does the God clean the heart? he cleans the heart through the ministry of the word of God and through the Holy spirit. And that's what, uh, so that's what James is kind of getting at here. He's saying that there's, there's people who talk religion, but never really live. In other words, their talk either, it either is, it either is saying, yes, I, I really, I really do what I believe, or it actually denies what that person confesses. Um, Remember in Matthew 15:18, uh, Jesus says, What comes out of the mouth is a direct reflection of what's in your heart. He says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. And then he says, These are the things that defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. In other words, he He's just saying that the tongue expresses what's in the heart. Now, I don't know about you, but um, there's a direct, there's like a direct line between my mouth and my heart and your mouth and your heart. And, And so when God saves us, he begins to convict us of our speech, how we talk. I mean, think about how we talk about others. In other words, we could worship here today and then go out and begin to gossip. That would be denying what we confessed, right? It would be a denial. Or we could go out of here and we could say, well, that's stupid so-and-so, and, and we might, and all of a sudden we go like, where did that come from? It comes from the heart. And one of the things that God does as, as a believer is that he begins to convict us of those things. Now, now when we are first saved, I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, he begins doing that process. But he never stops, does he? I mean, think about it. Are we, is our words ever totally pure? They're not. You know, that's, that's the whole point. But our speech does reflect something about what we truly believe and who we truly believe in. Um, someone said we speak an average of 18,000 words a day. Did you realize that? And I, I can't imagine that. Do I speak that many words? I probably do today. 18,000 words a day, which would fill in 58-page book. So if you take that times 365, that's 6.5 million words per year, which is enough to fill five hundred page books. And you're thinking, like, I say that much stuff in a year? <laughs> uh, boy, I've got a lot of work. I better start watching what I say and I, I mean, what's coming out of the. In other words, guard your heart with all diligence, Proverbs 4.23, for out of it are the issues of life. So what comes out of our mouth is really important. It's not irrelevant. It's not what saves us. But when we are, when we do come into that relationship with Jesus Christ, it will affect what we say because the poison, the po- So our, your words have power. Who, who agrees that our, our words have power? Our words have the ability to bless or to curse, right? To heal or to hurt, so, what the, so the words that we do speak, those really are an indication of where our heart is with God and with other people. Um, for example, if someone is uh, always angry, do you think well, you hear that in their words, right? And uh, so they're angry because some way or other they are trying to use their words. I, I used to have a really angry boss. And uh, when he wanted to get, when he felt like he was out of control, he would get really angry, and he would start shouting and throwing stuff, and, uh, and that was a way of controlling the staff, because if you can intimidate somebody, you can get what? You can get them to respond in a certain way. Now, maybe it's not the best way, uh, but think about all the words that we use uh, in text messaging, and Facebook. <laughs> I mean, I started thinking about all the other things, Twitter, uh, uh, which I don't use, but, uh, and, uh, but how hard is it to bridle the tongue? I mean, that's James, James's point. And he's saying pure and undefiled religion is part of that, ha- part of the thing that God does when he saves us is he gives us self control. He begins to work on our, our, our tongue. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? Because your tongue has power to bless and to curse, to heal, to hurt. Um, I mean, we've all heard these words. Um, they just hung up on me right in the middle of a conversation. Has that ever happened to you? I can't believe they would talk to me like that. Um, or this one I've had. That person talks so much I can't get a word in Otherwise, uh, Otherwise, you know. I mean, th- in other words, um, What he or she said was really hurtful. I mean, I I don't know if I am ever be able to forgive them. You know, words have power. Uh, And and what James is saying, your words do have meaning and they have power. And we live in a society that um, you notice that that, that people take oaths and they perjure themselves and they think it's okay. Lying has become uh, almost normal. It's normal right now. Uh, leadership. I mean, people take oaths. They, you know, they don't care. They're lying, and and they really believe that uh, that if you lie long enough and people believe it, then then it's the truth. I mean, it's that was Hitler's motto, by the way. He would just say, you know, if you tell a lie long enough, then people will eventually believe it. Um, and uh, <clears throat> so, anyway, James is James is really dealing with with our tongue. But, but he's saying that that's one of the indicators. Uh, for example, if somebody were, were singing, praise, praising God, and then they go out and they start using language that, that really doesn't reflect that they know or have a relationship with God, you would recognize that, right? Uh, but, but he's also talking to Christians and saying, you know, your, your language will also have the, an effect on the people that you have a relationship with. Um, notice Isaiah, when Isaiah saw God's holiness, what did he say? Woe is me, I'm a man of what? Unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the Lord of glory. And, and he says, And I live among a people of unclean lips. So it's amazing that, that one of the things that God does in the gospel is he redeems our tongue. Um, aren't you glad, <laughs> uh, Sidlow Baxter, he, he, uh, came when I was in school, he, he came and he's, uh, from Australia, but he was, a uh, uh, but he said this, and I, I, this, com- this comment has always struck me. He says, one of the first things that happens when a man or woman is really filled with the spirit is not that he speaks with tongues, but that he learns to hold the one tongue he already has. And I always love that quote because it's kind of like saying, you know, God, God begins to to put like uh, he puts up, begins to bridle our tongue. I mean, my biggest problem uh, struggles in the Christian life have been, Lord, I wish I could take that back. I remember saying something to a young lady one time, and it was very offensive. I didn't know what I was saying, but I, I, I mean, it just grieved me for days because, and I, you know, apologized and so forth and so on. But it just, it just was. I can't believe I said that to her. <laughs> um, and I was, I was a young believer, but still, even God began to, to work there. So, so the first place of influence that James is dealing with here, as it relates to pure religion, and notice he's saying religion that's before God versus how we think about what religion is. He's saying religion, he's saying now, you can have religious services, you can have communion. You can, uh, you can have the preaching of the word. You can hear the hearing of the word. And, he's saying, and those are important, but they also are intended to affect the way we live and the way we speak and the way we interact uh, in the world that God's placed us in. Psalm, the psalmist at the end of Psalm 19, notice how he, he prays this prayer. He says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Oh, God, my Savior. So he's saying there's the connection between the mouth and the heart. And he's he's asking God to do that. But notice the second mark. We're going to go on. The first mark was it's it's hard enough to say, Lord, I know I have a problem with my tongue. uh, And that even as a Christian, I'm still working on it. But just remember, that's what grace does, isn't it? Grace points out the problem and then points us to the solution. And the solution is always the cross. It's always the gospel. It's always the place of forgiveness. We always have a, pl- always have a fountain of cleansing. <laughs> that fountain of cleansing comes through the word and by the spirit and, uh, and brings us to confession. But notice the second mark he makes here. And I believe that this is one that I, that I, I really believe the church sometimes, now I'm not saying the, the church in general, that we've missed. And that is that religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction. Now, back in James's day, they didn't have Social Security. So let's just say a woman lost her husband. She didn't have... They also didn't have life insurance. <laughs> and uh, she was pretty much left destitute in that society. I mean, think about... We studied the book of Ruth. Remember Ruth? She was left with nothing. And, uh, and Boaz uh, actually was... Uh, you know, part of the the way to care for widows was to allow them to glean in the fields, with uh, the laborers. But, but but back in this day and age, when James is writing, and, and even in Acts, you remember when the church was form, was forming in Acts when those three thousand souls were saved. In Acts six, it says that the that the that the Greek Greeks. Greek believers were complaining because their widows were being neglected and the Jewish widows were being taken care of. And and what did they do? They came up with some what they call the diaconate. And they appointed what they appoint men who were full of wisdom and full of what? The Holy Spirit to what? To make sure that the widows in the church were being taken care of. So one of the things about pure and undefiled religion is that God really looks at how we take care of widows and orphans. Now, where would we find orphans at today? Well, I mean, I think Allison has even mentioned, you know, in school, there's a lot of kids that live in, you know, broken homes. And some of them have dads. Sometimes they're absent dads. And, uh, but uh, even like in our, in our um, even, even today, I mean, there's four, something like 400,000 kids in foster care. 7,000 in West Virginia. 400,000 just in the United States. Can you imagine 400,000 kids without, without parents? I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a scary number, isn't it, um, to think about? Um, because, there are, you know, and we do have, you know, you can think about, well, you know, at least they're, they're in foster care. But that's, not, that's different than having a, a mom and dad that loves you and cares for you. Uh, And you could go through, you could go to other countries where this is like even a bigger problem. I I know like in Brazil, there's, 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 they call them, they call them street children, Philippines, uh, Thailand. Um, In fact, uh, in Brazil, they call them vermin because they just, they're just all over, they're all over the place. Children that they live on, they actually live on trash dumps. Can you imagine? And, And... And John Piper was saying this, he shared a story. He says that some of the police, um, they uh, moonlight at night by contracting to kill these children, some of these children, because they're just, they don't have any place to go. And they just live on the, they live on the streets. They live, they're just everywhere. And you can't imagine the cruelty. But, but think about, I mean, we live in a world that's very cruel. And so where does the compassion of Christ come in? the church in other words how does it how does it affect the church and its ministry outside the church Uh, because God loves the orphans and widows and um, one of the ways that we know that we understand the gospel is what that God cared about us enough when we were without hope that we were lost we were dead in trespasses and sins when God saved us uh, and what James is trying to, uh, connecting is that he says one of the reasons that we can have the kind of compassion that Jesus had for the lost, and especially for the orphans and the widows, that in other words, those are the people that are the most vulnerable to oppression. I mean, uh, women that are so- sold into sexual slavery, that's be- becoming a very common thing. Not only in Thailand, or not only just in the Philippines, but here in the United States, I mean, with, with what's going on. Uh, but one of the ways that we know that the gospel is, that, we, that we're understanding what the gospel is, is that when we were blind, what did God do? He opened my eyes. When I, when, I was, when I was, you know, I was impoverished and had nothing, what does God do? He comes and enriches us with the gospel. And, and so, so James is really appealing to the church not to neglect that part of their responsibility. How do we how do we interact with the need the need of people all around us? In other words, how does that compassion affect the community that we live in? Uh, the school system. I, I'm glad that we you know can be part even the little part we do on the Christmas thing. But just think about how many how many uh, oppressed type of situations are there outside the church walls. I feel pretty safe in here, don't you? <laughs> I don't feel threatened by you guys. Now you might look at me a little funny at times. <laughs> like, what's he trying to get at here? But, but the point is, I feel very comfortable, right? I, I mean, there's, I don't feel threatened. But think about in a world, you know, we would say, but I don't relate to that, and James is going to talk about it in chapter 3. You know, we, we don't relate. Boy, I really like, you know, if that person joined the church, I would really be, that would really make our church very impressive to the community. But what if the person who just basically didn't have, they had nothing. They walk in at the same time. How would we react? How would we treat that person? You see what James is getting at? That God is a God who shows no favoritism or partiality. I go like, oh, <laughs> I remember, um, uh, we were doing a, helping do a church plan in Chicago and I'm going off script here. <laughs> and, uh, we were, we were doing this church plant in the North side of Chicago. And uh, we met another guy who was doing a church plant on the s- more South of us. And, uh, but his philosophy of doing a church plant was this. He wanted to, he wanted to reach the yuppies. The yuppies were the younger, uh, mobile, um, financially successful type of people. And I thought for some reason it just didn't strike me as the way that Jesus would, write, would do a ministry. And I'm not saying that that was necessarily all wrong. But it just struck me as, is that the way Jesus um, called his disciples? Because his disciples were what? Fishermen. Uh, they were tax collectors. Uh, one was, uh, he was an anarchist. I mean, you start looking at the people that Jesus ministered to even, you know, the people that were needy. Those were the people that many were blind, crippled, uh, oppressed, widows. Many, he raised uh, a widow's son, you remember. Um, and, And you see what, in other words, pure and undefiled religion does have the heart of Christ's compassion for the people who are needy. Now, it doesn't mean that uh, God doesn't love people who are not needy, but typically what, what you see is that, that God's compassion flowed out to the people who were in need. And, and certainly that is a gospel, that is how the gospel affected us uh, and how, how God continues to, uh, to work outside the church even. And, and, and so I think it's one of the ways in which God, creates a kingdom I would think of it's I think of a kingdom mission the kingdom mission is how does God God's word affect God's people when they go outside of the building and they live in the community with the people they work with or they rub shoulders with who are the people that God's connecting with and and how how does God's people connect with those who are uh in many ways in need um, isn't that what Jesus did in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, when, when Paul's reminding people, he's saying, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he who was rich did what? He became poor, that we through his poverty would be made rich. Um, so James is, he, he's thinking here and thinking, okay, how, how do we as, as believers, how do we connect with the needs all around us? How do we pray for those needs? How do we say, Lord, how do I connect? I remember uh you know I was talking to someone the other day at a birthday party and um uh, and we were just talking he said, "Well, how is the church reaching the community?" And we were kind of like, "Well, we're not really reaching the community." <laughs> In other words, I was asking him that. He was cuz uh, I know the church that he goes to. And uh And he said, well, that is, and I said, and he works in the mayor's office in Huntington. And I said, well, what would the, would the mayor be open to really discuss what are the needs in the community that the church may or may not be able to help with? Now, I don't mean that, you know, I mean, obviously church is going to be restricted in terms of the, the amount of funding that kind of thing. And it's not about money. It's about how do we connect with people? How much money do you spend when you have to visit a widow? just your time, right? Uh, I found that most of the widows widows and widowers are in nursing homes. Do you realize that? That's a very lonely place to be. And uh, I, I can't imagine, I'm, I don't ever want to, I always told my kids, if, you know, hey, if we get to that point in my, our lives, Chris and I, just, uh, we'll have a fence around the yard, just put the food in. <laughs> because <laughs> I don't want to go to a nursing home. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, I'm not saying that, that in a negative sense. But for, for me, I mean, that was, that was the way I look at it. But because, because I see so many lonely people, so many people that, that, that don't have a connection uh, with, uh, with their families oftentimes. So, so James, is, James is addressing that, and he's saying, well, pure and undefiled religion is really about getting your hands dirty changing your schedule sometimes, interrupting what is most important to us in order to minister some way to the needs of someone else. Um, Because I think we all struggle with, you know, I I like to take care of my needs first, (laughs) you know, and that's always the, the big struggle as a Christian. But notice the third mark. He doesn't leave us there. I wish it would. He, now he tells us that he, he wants us to get our hands dirty. <laughs> but on the other hand, he says, but, <laughs> uh, but he's basically, but then he goes on and says, he doesn't want you to get defiled with the world, but to keep oneself unstained from the world. How does that happen? How do we get, keep being corrupted, from being corrupted by the world. And I believe that what he's talking about here, I think he's talking about the way the world thinks about what's valuable and what's not. The world does not value human life. The church should. I mean, that's why we value, you know, pre-born babies, (laughs) you know, that they are a life given, to us, given by God and therefore uh, worth, uh, have value and have purpose because they're created in the image of God even in the womb. Um, so, so James is, is dealing with, you know, don't allow the world's value system to become your value system because the world's shoving that at us, right? Calling evil good and good evil. They're basically saying you need to change your value system. It's wrong. And God's saying, no, you have the right value system. It's given to you in the word of God. And guess what? You know, people have worth regardless of their economic and their social situation. You know, socioeconomic, racial, whatever it is, those things, those things pushed aside because all people, all lives matter, right? <laughs> Not just a certain group of lives matter. All lives do matter. And, and so James is dealing with that because this culture that we live in today is trying to alter, I believe, uh, even, and it is affecting even the church to a certain degree that we are allowing their value system to become our value system. Uh, and it's, uh, and it's, and it's, by the way, it's inadvertent. I don't think anyone naturally does that, but it, it's inadvertent in that sense. So, so what? So one of the ways that that happens is when we put a value on a person's outward appearance, right? I mean, just I uh, just think about it. I mean, this I'll, I'll, this 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 is suppose that somebody came in here with a uh, dressed in like a thousand dollar suit. Now that uh, I would feel out of place if I dressed in a suit, even like I'm wearing, uh, but the, and uh, gold cuff links and uh, you know alligator shoes. I don't know what, whatever you know. In other words, they, you can tell they really have a lot of wealth. But at the same time, another person comes in who has nothing. How would we? What kind of distinctions would we make? Even in our mind, before we even say anything, we might say, boy, I hope he joins the church because, man, think, <laughs> think about it, Leon. Boy, our offerings are really going to go up. <laughs> and, uh, uh, boy, I mean, we're, you know, think of the things we could do in that gym. You know, we could, you know, we could really do some good stuff. But then some comes in, they're totally impoverished and say, well, you know, uh, boy, I sure hope they don't join the church. It might ruin the reputation of the church. You know, actually, I've heard things like that. I remember a church that we were going to, uh, that one of the richest men in the the, the city was coming to the church. And the pastor pointed out, that's the richest man in the city. He's got more money than anybody. And I also noticed a guy that was sitting in the back who basically was, I think he wasn't living on the street, but he was close to it. But I noticed how people acknowledged the rich guy. (laughs) He got his coffee when he came in. He got to sit in the front. Uh, he, people would go up to him, hi, Mr. So-and-so. And, you know, and I'm going like, well, what about the guy in the back? Because nobody was shaking hands with that guy. And I thought, does that happen in a church? And it does. That, that prejudice and favoritism and things like that. happens and sometimes it happens and we don't even think about it we're not even we're not even conscious that that's going on in our thinking and yet God says pure and undefiled religion is to do those types of in other words to God's and what I believe what God what James is doing here is he's saying look at these things and as you look at those things ask yourself do I realize the impact the gospel should be having in my life that my value as a person has nothing to do with what I wear, where I live, what I drive, uh, who I associate with, that none of that matters. All that really matters in terms of my identity is, do I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Have my sins been forgiven? And that's really the, the bottom line. James is just saying, bottom line <laughs> is this, the gospel affects all of that. It changes the way that you, you view you you value uh, your mission in life. Your 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 whole direction is Lord. What? How am I to live out this wonderful life that I have, that is rich because we have we're joint heirs and heirs, heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Um, see, grace comes to the needy, and favoritism is looking on the face, the externals. And God is saying, don't look on the externals. God, in fact, remember when, um, I'll I'll close with this, but remember the um, the Old Testament, uh, Samuel was supposed to go and appoint a new king. Remember David's brothers? And David's brothers, uh, one of them was, um, I mean, he was tall, he was handsome. You know, he, was impressive and samuel says surely this is god's god's anointed no and god told samuel this he says he says don't look on the outward appearance because god looks on what he looks on the heart and here this scrawny looking little kid comes in uh, maybe even with sheepskin who knows and uh, god says that's the guy (laughs) david a man after my own heart it's amazing, isn't it? What God sees and we don't see. And how ministry is oftentimes done, you know, you know, we we always have to pray, you know, Lord, allow me to see the way God sees, how God sees people, how God values human life. How how you know, it's not about it's not about the budget. It's not about the program. It's not about all these other things that we put so much emphasis on, is it? It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Bottom line, at the end, of the, at the end, of, when, when it's all said and done, what happens? And uh, think of Donnie. You mentioned this Matthew 25. Jesus said to those on his right. Remember, he said, he said, come and enter the and enter the blessing of the Lord. He says, because when I was in prison, what happened? You visited me. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was without clothing, you, put, you clothed me. And they said, when did we see you do any of When, when did we do that? I mean, could you tell us? And, and, and Jesus said, as, as if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. That's bottom line stuff, isn't it? that's reality stuff that's, that's 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 now that's christianity stuff that's the power of the gospel stuff because when we look at that and we and, and that's coming out of us guess what's happening god's transforming us and we're touching people and you're saying but but that's only one person guess what but that person who knows what that person god is going to do with that person it might be a david it becomes king it might be a person who becomes, you know, missionary. It might just be a person who, who just lives out their Christian life in such a way that it touches so many other people in the community. That's all God's concerned about is that our life would the gospel would flow out. That's what it means to be like Christ. It's not about, you know, how many, you know, uh, it's not it's not about the numbers. Now, yes, I would like to see the church full. <laughs> and everyone here would, right? But at the end of the day, it's not about the numbers. It's about, you know, who is God using in your life to touch? And how is God transforming the way I think about the people that I meet every day and have the opportunity to share not just the message, but the life of Jesus with people. See, the life of Jesus has more meaning to people because they're saying, just show me. Show me that what you believe really makes sense, that it really does have an effect on the way that you live your life. And they see that when your life touches them. It's called a life of mercy or a ministry of mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. And thank you for this passage. Lord, it's convicting, but yet at the same time. It's refreshing to know that it is a picture of how the gospel touches our lives. And it touches other people's lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.